Welcome to Feeding the Flock Season 9 and our expositions through the book of 2 Corinthians. We're currently in chapter 13 at verse 5. Hi there, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading what Paul has to say here close to the end of this book. We'll begin reading in verse 5, chapter 13 of the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong. Not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. For this reason, I am writing these things while absent, so that when present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. So this is the uh, last paragraph, you might say, of the epilogue. And this epilogue has three main paragraphs. You might uh, look at it that way. And uh, that first paragraph, the epilogue, uh, actually begins as the last paragraph of chapter 12, verses 19 through 21, where Paul talks about the possibility of his own humiliation at arriving at Corinth and finding sins unconfessed and unrepented of, that uh, that would grieve his heart to uh, see that happening. And uh, this all would be, uh, in some ways, a very embarrassing situation, especially after having written this particular book to them, knowing that this book got there to them ahead of Paul's arrival, and they would have had time to respond to these exhortations. So this is quite serious, you might say, and uh, that's the uh, epilogue begins in that paragraph at the end of chapter 12. And then Chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, which is the last episode that we used here, is uh, Paul's return. And he, he, he wants them to know that his main goal is that Christ is mighty in you. And uh, that is where they will find their strength, their stability, their rock is found in Christ Jesus. And uh, that is Paul uh, Paul's desire when he comes back. He's allowed allowing for the fact that it might not be that way, but that is his desire, that Christ be mighty in them. And uh, that's what he wants on his return. And then this last paragraph, uh, full paragraph, is Paul's approval, that you be made complete. And in some ways, it has very little to do with 
Paul being approved. That's what I mean by Paul's approval. It, it's not like uh, they are, they're meeting Paul's approval, but rather that Paul's own approval in their eyes is not necessarily uh, his main goal. Uh, yes, that's what he spent several chapters talking about in, in very general terms and in, in some specific ways, but he did so with a different motive than just to build himself up. That's not at all what he wanted to do. He merely wanted to expose the truth about himself in their eyes so that they remember the things that they themselves saw in Paul and that uh, it was not at all the things that these false apostles have been uh, telling them about Paul. They have been rewriting this narrative of this uh, relationship between Paul and Corinth, and they've been rewriting the narrative in the congregation that they themselves knew about. They knew the narrative. They knew Paul. They knew Paul in and out. They knew his motives. They knew his heart. They saw him right there in their midst. And, uh, and that's why this whole thing seems to uh, doesn't necessarily catch Paul off guard, but but it does uh, lead him to uh, to say these things in these last several chapters that uh, seem almost out of character, and yet uh, they needed to be said in order to bring this to light, and that's why he is concluding here in this paragraph with this instruction. It says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. You see, sometimes he can talk about the false apostles and he can talk about himself in contrast to the techniques and the strategies and the and uh, all the things that these, these false leaders tried to do. But in many regards, it still come down, comes down to this. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves. This is a problem with you. You need to look at yourself a little bit in order to discern why it is you've been susceptible to these people. And uh, that's what he wants them to, to look at. He says, don't look at me. Don't look at them. Sometimes it's important for you to look at yourself and uh, make a self-examinations. Why? Because sometimes the problems with false teachers is that the fact that they gain an audience. They have an audience. And, then, and sometimes it's the audience that's the problem. If there wasn't an audience, these false teachers would never be given the podium. And that's, that's his point here. Examine yourselves. He told Timothy that uh, they will, he says, for time will tom come, excuse me, when uh, they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And so they will start believing things that aren't even true. Why? Because these teachers come in 
And these teachers appeal to their sensuality. They appear to the, they appeal to their sexuality, and they uh, they appear to their uh, they appeal to their uh, uh, their own desires, and they justify those desires rather than justifying the truth and building up the truth in their life. And um, so. So they will just some sort of naturally kind of follow these people because they have a they have a theology of their own, but they have a theology that seems to condone their sin, and so they'll adopt that, and uh, that's exactly why Paul wants these dear believers at Corinth examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourself. Uh, uh, look at yourself. Are you in the faith? Now, uh, Job examined himself, and in fact, he he prayed a prayer to the Lord saying, make known to me my rebellion and my sin. Paul, uh, Job made this a part of his his prayer to, to ask God to reveal his sin to, to him. And uh, uh, David said the same thing. You have tried my heart. And uh, uh, he says in Psalm 26, verse 2, test my mind and my heart. This is his prayer to God. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, uh, uh, the psalmist there says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, I know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Jeremiah said, let us examine and probe our ways, and let us return to the Lord. Haggai preached, consider your ways. And again, he says again in verse uh, verse 7 of, of chapter 1, after uh, saying it first in the uh, uh, verse 5 of chapter 1, he repeats it, consider your ways. It's important for us to go to the Lord and ask that he reveal our sins. Paul has already listed out the difficulties uh, earlier in the last chapter, uh, the last uh, paragraph, that is, of the last chapter, chapter 12. And he lists those things out. Go through the list. Are they a part of your life? Are they a part of your motivations? Are they corrupting your thinking and corrupting your your allegiances and your loyalties to the truth of God and and godly leaders he's brought your way? And instead you're following uh, the the, uh, doctrines and the people that that are uh, condoning your sin? And that's exactly what Paul says. See if you're in the faith. Because why? Because Paul doesn't know absolutely the born-again status of everybody in the audience or everybody in the congregation at Corinth. Uh, he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.19. He says, nevertheless, uh, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. There is a, such a thing that, that there's a congregation of people who identify with Jesus in some loose form or way, and they they have committed themselves perhaps to following Jesus, or at least they've done so in some sort of uh, formal way or maybe some sort of public way that uh, 
that they put their name on a list someplace and and that and so they're identifying with with this congregation but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're born again or that they have Christ living inside their hearts or that they have Christ living his life in them or that they know true salvation by true saving faith the lord knows how do we examine ourselves well, pray to God and ask his Holy Spirit to give testimony. That's the first place to look because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. He says in Romans 8 verse 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So you need to go back to Christ, go back to his work, go back to his gospel. The gospel is that he died for his sins, he was buried, and that he was he was raised from the dead. And that is the gospel. Have you received him as your Savior? Have you placed your trust in Jesus to be your payment for your sin? That is saving faith. You can trust in Jesus for a lot of things. Maybe you trust him for safety, or maybe you trust him for health, or maybe you trust him for for uh, uh, for your children, or or any number of things. But It is saving faith that trusts him with your salvation, that he paid the penalty as a substitute so that you can find him as your savior. And the spirit of God, it says in Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Test yourselves, ask God, Show where your true heart really is. Or is your Christianity just some sort of hobby that you've adopted from somebody else? Or is it real? Is it real because the Spirit of God has convinced you that Jesus is your Savior? We'll be back right after this musical interlude. Welcome back. We're in the middle of verse 5 of chapter 13 of the book of 2 Corinthians. And he's already exhorted them to test themselves, examine themselves. And he says, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? If you are not in the faith, then you are not in Christ and Christ is not in you. But if you are, then Paul says to the Colossians in verse 1, uh, that is verse 27 of chapter 1, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says to the Galatians in chapter 2, verse 20, 
Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So there's a new relationship set up. It is, it is that born-again relationship that Jesus himself talked to Nicodemus about. And, and if you're not in the true saving faith, trusting Christ to pay for your sins, then you see, You fail the test and Christ is not in you. You're playing some sort of a game or you're playing some sort of a religious uh, institutional uh, ritual, but you're, you're not truly in the faith and Christ is not in you. So don't fail the test. Paul isn't telling you this to make you fail. He's telling you this to make a discernment so that you know your own heart and where you stand. He says, but I, but I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. And Paul basically is saying at very minimum, minimum, at very base rock <laughs> uh, point here, Paul says, even if you don't accept me as an apostle or accept my authority or accept any, if you, if you think I'm the lowest of low, at, at least, at least don't. Don't put me in the category of being the unsaved because I think that is very clear to you. We ourselves do not fail the test. You can look at our lives. You can look at our motives. You can look at everything the, the, the Word of God has said to examine on behalf of the fruit of someone's life, the fruit of someone's experience, the fruit of someone's preaching. And hopefully, Paul's saying, I hope you see the, all the right things. I hope at least at minimum you know that we ourselves are in the faith that Christ is in us. And in fact, he says, but I trust that you will realize, verse 6, I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. test. But verse 7, now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. Paul says this whole thing, even though I've written a large portion of this book about me and my ministry and my character and my motives and and exposed myself to you in, in truth and honesty and transparency and in any way I could to get you to remember what you saw in me but it really wasn't about me. It's about you. It's about you grasping the authentic saving faith all on your own and that you grasp the truth of God. Whether or not I come back to you with any status uh, or any respect as an apostle, that's not even my point. My point is that you will be approved and not me, even if I appear unapproved. That's not, that's not even my goal. Let me be unapproved. Doesn't matter that you do what's right. That's what matters. You make a discernment about yourselves, about where you are in Christ. Are you in him? Is he in you? Is that true about you? If that is true, then you go back to the things that that all are true and you 
you wipe away the things that are false. And that, and of course, that's uh, implied here, that includes the false apostles and everything that they have foisted on them, everything that they have fed them is untrue. They are to discard. But hold on to the truth. You do what is right. Verse 8, for we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. In the end, the truth is what matters. It really doesn't matter if you follow me or accept me or even uh, are friendly toward me when I come back. What matters is the truth. Are you standing in the truth? Are you walking in the truth? That's what matters to Paul. In fact, in chapter 12, verse 19, he says, all this time you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. So it's all about them. Now, I'm sure Paul isn't desiring to coddle them, but he does want them to know it's about their growth in, lo- in, their, in their Christian life, their growth in their relationship to Christ, their growth in coming to the truth about themselves and about these false apostles, and if it takes it, about Paul himself. But even if Paul fails, it doesn't matter if they go on with Christ and rid themselves of this sin, and rid themselves of this conflict, rid themselves of the things that uh, these false apostles have put upon them and put into them, and set those things all aside and do the right thing. So Paul continues on. Verse 9, for we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. So he has two parts to his prayer. Paul prays for these people in two parts. The first part is that you do what is right. Did you catch that in verse 7? That was the first part of his prayer. Do the right thing. That was Paul's prayer for them. And what is the next part? The next part is that you be made complete. Paul prays for their maturity. Paul cares for these people. He cares for these people. And out of this abundance of care, out of this abundance of concern, as an apostle, he prays for them. You know, I did a study several years ago about the various prayers of Paul, and I went through all of the prayers that Paul prayed for individuals and for churches, and, and what, was the, what was the content of, of all of those prayers? What were the priorities on Paul's heart on behalf of those people? And I came to a conclusion that Paul's prayer life was about the fact that he prayed for people. He prayed for people. And I came up with an observation because sometimes we go to we go to God and or we go to fellow Christians. Well, I should be praying more and I I should pray more. I should pray more uh, each day. I should pray each day. I should pray longer each day. And my prayer uh, should be a, a better prayer life. And that's okay to have that desire. But I came to the conclusion after reading all the Paul of Paul's prayers and even looking at it here and now. Do you? realize that the way to improve your prayer life is to improve your care life. Start caring about the people around you that God has given you to invest in. 
You pray for those people. You pray for their needs. That will improve your prayer life, you see. is if you improve your care life for the people of God, the churches of God, the members of those churches, the congregations in those churches. And Paul, Paul prays for these that they may be made complete. He is concerned about their maturity. That is all he's concerned about, that they walk in the truth, they walk in the faith, they walk in Christ, and they walk growing in Christ toward maturity. That doesn't mean that they're perfect or that they'll ever be perfect. It doesn't mean that they will walk with some sort of flawlessness, but they will be flawless in the sense that they will have a character that's worth investing in others. So Paul says that you be made complete. For this reason, I am writing these things while absent, so that when present, I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. You see, Paul knows that his real prayer, if it gets answered by them responding to the words of this letter, he knows that if they respond properly, by the time he gets there, his real desire isn't to deal with them with severity and with discipline or with the power they're expecting from him. No, his real desire is for him to show up and witness the fact that they've responded, they've, re- they've repented, they have set these sins aside, and they are now growing toward completeness. And that would be Paul's joy if he didn't have to come with some sort of severe voice, some sort of rebuking uh, messages. Instead, he could come and share fellowship with them. That was his real desire. Wasn't that he would display this great amount of authority. He could, and and he would, if called upon to do so. If he had to do it, he would do it. But even if he does not, that is, even if they are not uh, in a position to, uh, to, uh, uh, to, receive this rebuke because they've already repented. You see, if he comes in and becomes just their their spiritual father again and comes in and encourages them, then then he he might appear weak to them once more. He may not be able to display that authority that supposedly that the false apostles thinks uh, think that they that he should do. And yet he can come in as a gentle spirit, and that would be okay by Paul, you see. Why? Because his purpose is for building up and not for tearing down. That's what he said in chapter 12, verse 19. All this time you've been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding beloved. That is his purpose in this book, that they would be built up in Christ. And it really doesn't matter how much he shines forth. It really doesn't matter how severe he gets. It really doesn't matter how much power he displays in his authority as an apostle. What really matters is whether the truth is going to stand 
true in that congregation. And all the falsehoods and the lies and the deceptions and the gossip and the rumors and the immorality and the sins could be repented and cleaned up and cleared away so that they could grow to completeness in Christ. That's his prayer. Dear Father, that's our prayer as well. Make us complete in Christ. But before you make us complete, you may have to install Christ in us and us in Christ by us going to Jesus and saying, you are our Savior. We trust in your death as being the payment for our sin. The penalty has been paid and Now I can live in him forgiven. I repent of my sins and trust that he will take his righteousness and place it onto my life and place his spirit into my life. In his name I pray, amen. I hope you enjoyed this presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.